and uh, focus primarily on our 7th through 12th graders and uh, their families. And this morning, we are on the fourth and final part of our series, 2020 Discipleship. 2020 Discipleship. And if you were here the very first week, you would have heard Scott talk to us about the concept of visual acuity. Visual acuity, and this is what he said. He said, visual acuity is the number that indicates the sharpness and clarity of your vision and my vision from 20 feet away. So after he developed this concept and explained it to us, it was new to me, it may not have been new to you, he followed up with this question. Here's the question. What if we asked Jesus to test our spiritual vision or vision acuity in the spiritual realm on what it means to be a disciple? And we hope that through this series, you have been asking yourself that question. Because in week one, we, we, we took a look at follower, right? Scott talked to us about being a follower. And if we're a, a disciple as a follower, we're supposed to be following who? Jesus. Very good. We're following Jesus. So we're supposed to be with him and we're supposed to be like him. And then the next week, we talked about multiply or multiplication. He said that as a disciple, we are supposed to be sent out, sent out to the world around us, not only individually, but also corporately as a church. And then last week, we, we, we found out that as, a, as a, a, a disciple, we are already equipped. He talked to us about how we're already equipped by the Holy Spirit's power, that when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us and equips us and gives us everything that we need in that moment, but we're also being equipped. So discipleship, we've dealt with those words. So what word are we on this morning? Missional. Very good. Gordy, thank you. That's right. We're on missional this morning. And if you have been in church for a period of time or you've read up a lot about church, you will know that the word missional can be loaded. The missional, the missional word can, can be applied to things that are biblical and things that are unbiblical. In fact, there's many, many definitions of missional. It can refer to many different things. The word's been hijacked. It's been applied to just certain programs. It's been applied to church. And like I said, it comes with baggage as well. And depending on who you talk to, there could be different definitions. So this morning, what I want to do is we, is we kind of launch into this. I want us to take a look at missional from this perspective, just to kind of narrow it down, okay? And this is my general def definition. To be missional, it's the ability to understand and engage culture in order to speak spiritual truth into that culture, okay? It's the ability to understand and engage culture in order to speak Jesus into that culture, the gospel, kingdom, the Bible, things from a biblical perspective. John Stott, who he passed away in 2011, he's a, he's a, he was a pastor, he was an evangelist, he was a theologian, wrote this book called Contemporary Christian. And what he um, applies in this is, is that as we look at this ability to understand and engage culture, he would say that we need to do what is called double listening. Double listening. So if we look at being a missional disciple, he writes this, in particular, as indicated in this book's subtitle, I believe we are called to the difficult and even painful task of double listening. Okay, did you get that? Difficult and even painful task of double listening. This is, we are to listen carefully Listen carefully, although, of course, with differing degrees of respect, both to the ancient word, which would be scripture, and to the modern world, which would be the world around us, in order to relate the one to the other, so there's this relation that's going on with a combination of fidelity or faithfulness and sensitivity. 
We're supposed to be looking at God's word. We're supposed to be looking at the culture, elevating God's word into the culture and apply that to culture in a way that makes sense to those that we're communicating to. So when we're talking about missional this morning, that's where I'm going. We're going to turn to uh, Acts, not lax. We're going to turn to Acts 17, Acts 17, 16 through 34. And we're going to use this as our example this morning, and we're going to see how this was done by the Apostle Paul. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. It's not going to be up on the screen. There are several verses we're going to read this morning. Um, So find it on your phone as well, laptop, iPad, whatever you got with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, for a relationship that we can have with you, that those words are not just words, but they're our experience that we say. God, we thank you so much for your supernatural word, and we ask that you would do supernatural things with it. And God, even though we, we have it on the docket today that we're going to talk about being missional, have your way this morning, whatever that looks like. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does the babbler wish to say? Others said, he seemed to be preaching a foreign divinity or divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, these things, or we wish to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, as I, or this, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand or man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance of God over the, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from, this midst, from the midst, their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius and the Aragop... I, I mess this up every time I even practice it. Aragop... 
never mind, from, yes, <laughs> and a woman named Damaris and others with him. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is as a missional disciple, we see. Okay, we see. What's interesting is, and, and we didn't have time, that was a lot of scripture, but it is perfect for what we're talking about here this morning. If we had time even to read the rest of Acts 17, we would find out that Paul wasn't having a very good couple of days or possibly a couple of weeks. See, Paul was run out. What Paul was doing is, is he was going city to city and he shows up and he was run out of town. Not like somebody came to him and said, hey, um, I think it would be good for you to move on now. Like angry mob run out of town. So in Thessalonica, he actually moved him out at night, shuttle him to the next city. The same angry mob finds out about what's going on in the, uh, the, the, the other city. They come down, they run him out there. They whisk him out so fast that Timothy and Silas, who he's with, are still back in the city, but Paul is there in Athens. So everything that's going on with Paul, and I put myself in that situation going, wow, just run out of two cities. Where would I be? What would I be thinking? What would I be doing? And right in verse 16 where we started, it says, now while Paul was waiting for them, again, that's Timothy and Silas at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. With everything that was going on in Paul's life, he wasn't just at Athens recuperating. He wasn't just there taking in the sight. Something that we, knew, uh, we know about Athens, if you study it at that time, it was, it was a beautiful place, like beautiful. It was the epicenter of culture and of literature. Um, it was beautiful. There was a ton of activities. Things were active. People were engaged in things. Paul could have been there and kind of hanging out going, hey, it's been a rough two weeks. Hey, I'm just going to hang out here and enjoy the sights. Um, I'm just going to wait for Timothy to Silas to get there because once, he get, once they get here, we can kind of move on and do what we were doing. Yet Paul wasn't doing that. What Scripture says, Paul was actually taking in the sights around him from a spiritual perspective. Paul actually had spiritual lenses and he was looking at the people and he was looking at the culture and he was looking at their situation. And from these spiritual lenses, it said that it provoked his spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit there, but provoked his spirit. Almost like, um, have you guys ever been in a situation where your heart just aches for something? Have you been there? Heart just aches. That's what Paul was doing as he was looking around. His heart was aching. He was broken for what he saw in Athens. But what's interesting about this word is it can mean kind of broken or angry and irritated. And when you look at this word, um, commentaries kind of take it in almost like it could be one or the other. It could be both. And I feel like in this passage, it can apply to both. So if Paul was broken, he was also angry. Who was he angry at? What was he angry at? What was he irritated with? We know it wasn't the people because we just read the way he responded. Paul did not respond by, by, by going up and going, hey, all you sinners, repent, you're going to hell. Right? Did Paul do that? Was, was, was he on the street corner? Was he screaming? What's the matter with you people? Idols. Really? That's not. Here's what I think Paul was angry at. Paul was angry at sin. Paul was angry at the darkness that he saw. Paul was angry that that darkness and that sin had blinded them to such a level that what he was seeing played out in front of his eyes broke him broke him. So I brought some glasses here this morning. These are not prescription. These are just sunglasses, okay? 
So if these are just sunglasses and not prescription, when I put these on, if I have 20-40 vision and I'm looking at Scott, what do I have? 20-40 vision. It doesn't change my vision, right? Okay, it doesn't. Now these sunglasses, they're just not sunglasses. They're also polarized. Okay, so right now you guys are much darker than what you were before I put them on. So they're polarized. And what that means is, is that with these glasses on, the light that's polarized horizontally, horizontally, and I'm going to pull a Scott here. I love what you did on visual acuity. I, I don't know much about this. I'm going to talk like I do and I don't. I Google just like everybody else. So the whole idea of visual uh, acuity, not a visual acuity, see, the horizontal, the polarized horizontal light that hits these glasses, it filters it out. And why that's important is because that light is the light that causes the glare that affects our vision. So what happens is when I put these on, if there's glare, it doesn't matter what, how much glare is, it doesn't matter how bright things are, these glasses will filter those things out so I can see more clearly. I can see what's going on around me better. There's better feel for the land. Those things aren't interfering with my vision, right? So when we are missional, we're supposed to put glasses on to help filter. These glasses should be, let me, let me back up. These glasses should be a filter of, of Christ, of his word, of kingdom, of the gospel, so as missional, when we go around and we look at the world around us, we should be filtering this through. How does Jesus see this situation? Uh, how does the gospel relate to this situation? What does kingdom look like here? What am I supposed to do in this situation? See, it's supposed to be filtered through that. So just like Paul, just a quick question. This last week, how often have you seen people? In this busy culture, do you stop and think about people? Do you look at people? When you look at people and you have your glasses on, do you look at them through Jesus' perspective or do you look at them through your perspective? Do you look at them through the gospel or do you look at them through culture? How do you see people? When you see humanity, are you broken? Like Paul, is there something inside where, where you're broken that things shouldn't be? Do you, do you hate sin, Right? Or, or what lenses are you even taking sin through? In this culture, right, it's all messed up. So when we look at sin, do we look at sin and go, ah, that's not that bad, but that's bad, right? Or are we filtering it through the way God sees sin? So what's the lenses? What's the filter in which you're taking things in? So just a couple of weeks ago, driving home on 224, heading west on 224, coming from Canton. And, and you guys know um, about two-tenths of a mile, maybe three-tenths of a mile from the 261 exit right there at Wadsworth where they did all the construction and they took all those trees out and then they built up that huge mound, right? And the fences are there. Well, I'm sitting there driving, just minding my own business, listening to a podcast. And I look over and there's a black cat that's on the hill. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys ever have these moments where like the thoughts are coming so fast, it's like simultaneously, you couldn't explain them or write them down fast enough. So I had all, this was happening in a split second. And I thought to myself, where did that cat come from? Did he actually come across the expressway? Is he going to make it over that fence? If he doesn't, is he going to come back across the expressway? What is going to happen to this crazy cat? Where in the world does he live, right? Like I'm thinking about all of that. Some of you are sitting there going, who cares? <laughs> right? It's a cat. Thanks, Gordy. I don't care what happens to the cat, but for an animal lover like me, I cared. 
And you know, in that moment, God graciously but strongly spoke into my life and he said, you care more about that cat right now than the people around you. That was convicting because you know what? I was living my life with the filter, my filter. And I was looking, I wasn't even looking at people because I was looking at me. What was the next thing that I needed? What was the next thing I needed to do? What, 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 me, 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 focused in on me. I focused in enough on the people around me to make sure I didn't hurt anybody or they didn't hurt me. But I realized I was living my life in a way that I was not looking through God's eyes. So the first thing is we see. If you do not filter what you see and what you receive through Christ in a biblical perspective, you may have sharp vision and feel you have clarity, but you will lack true understanding. You will lack true understanding. So this is the second one. Not only do we see, but as a missional disciple, we should understand. So we understand. The next thing we find is that Paul had a level of understanding of the people and the culture around him. We see this in verse 22. If you want to look at that, verse 22 and 23 says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious or superstitious. Superstitious, right? He sees this. For as I passed along, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. We go down to verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own prophets or poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. See, Paul was still taking in this culture. He was looking for some common ground. He wasn't just enjoying the sights to go back to that. He wasn't just going from activity to activity. If Paul would have had a cell phone at that day and he had a social media account, he, he wouldn't have been taking pictures of, you know, his food and, and, and all these activities and this art and maybe kind of hashtagged it like beautiful city. Look, like, look who, how beautiful, look, look how lost, right? Wouldn't be that. That wouldn't have been Paul. Paul was sitting there looking at things, sure, taking things in, but he was taking things in in order to understand, to better understand the people, the culture, their situations, to know how it is that he was supposed to speak into that. To, to, to make this kind of a contemporary example, so as Paul's going around, he's got his glasses on, spiritually speaking. He's able to see what is going on. He's trying to understand, again, through these same lenses, understand what's going on. How, how does that kind of apply to today, right? Like, like, how do we step into that? So in youth ministry, I challenge our youth leaders to be cross-cultural missionaries, and what I mean by cross-cultural missionaries, if you're not familiar with that term, as a cross-cultural missionary, you are going from one culture to a drastically different culture to minister in. So you would ask, why in the world would I ask my leaders to be cross-cultural uh, missionaries, right? Like, aren't we living in the same place? Aren't we living at the same time? Don't we speak the same language, right? That doesn't make any sense. But when you look at the young people today, it's not the same. Their experiences are way different than what we think. Now, we understand this outside of like Wadsworth or Doylestown, Norton, Rittman, wherever. We kind of understand this. So let's say Gordy, okay? Let's say Gordy stands up and goes, I feel like God's calling me to Africa. And we're like, awesome. Gordy goes, I love Jesus. I'm being called to Africa. What would we do or what would Gordy do? Gordy would need to go to language school. 
Gordy would need to go to Africa, right? And just kind of explore Africa. He'd need to know more about the customs, more about the values, more about the culture. He'd need to form relationships, right? He'd need to look for common ground, like all of these things he would need to do. And we would sit there and go, absolutely, Gordy, that's what you need. We want you to be effective. But what would happen if Gordy got up here and said, I don't need all that. I'm called and I love Jesus. We go, well, Gordy, you don't even know the language. Do you speak French, Gordy? Nope, I speak English. Uh, but they, yep, it works over here. I can speak English over here. I'm going to reach the people over there that speak English. Say, so, well, Gordy, do you know anything about the culture? Do you, do you understand anything? Are you, are you taking stuff in so you know how to relate to the people? Nope. What works over here is going to work over there. Now, if we continue that discussion at the end, how effective do you think Gordy's going to be? Not very. But Gordy loves Jesus, right? Gordy's called. But Gordy needs to understand. Gordy needs to move into it, and he needs to understand. Let's go at the church level. Tim Keller, I read something, Tim Keller. He's a pastor and author out of New York, and, and he writes this. He said, in the West for nearly a thousand years, think about these times. In the West for nearly a thousand years, the relationship of the Anglo-European Christian churches to the broader culture was a relationship known as Christendom. The institutions of society Christianized people and stigmatized non-Christian beliefs and behavior. Though people were Christianized by the culture, they were not regenerated or converted with the gospel. The church's job was then to challenge persons into a vital living relationship with Christ. So you see what's going on here? Obviously, the United States, thousands of years have not been in existence, but, but we would have been affected, right? Been affected by the people coming over, affected with the same thing, would have moved in the same way. So he's saying that in this, the culture was Christianized. We had some of the same uh, language. We had some of the same beliefs. We were looking for some of the same behavior. So the culture that we lived in was very similar. It says for a thousand of years, thousand years, right? So the church's job wasn't to explain a whole lot. It was to get people in to go, no, 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 no. It's not about behavior. It's about relationship. Like it's not about behavior. It's about relationship. To get them into that vital relationship with Christ. Now listen to this one. He goes on to write about a British missionary, Leslie Newbegin says he went to India around 1950. 1950, keep that in mind. It was a 1,000 years. Now he's going in 1950. There he was involved with a church living in mission in a very non-Christian culture, okay? Going to India from Europe, drastically different, right? Cross-cultural missionary. When he returned to England some 30 years later, 30 years, 1950 to the 1980s, he discovered that now the Western church too existed in a non-Christian society. But it had not adapted to its new situation. Though public institutions and popular culture of Europe and North America no longer Christianized people, the church still ran its ministries assuming that a stream of Christianized, traditional, moral people would simply show up to services. Would simply show up to services. Some churches certainly did evangelism as one ministry among many, 
but the church in the West had not become completely missional. So what he was saying is, he says, look, he goes, this is the way it used to be. It's not like this anymore, but the church is still operating like it used to be. They're expecting people just to kind of come through the door, common language, common experience. This missionary is going, no, in 30 years, there's been a drastic change. Again, the West had not become completely missional, adapting and reformulating absolutely everything it did in worship, in discipleship, in community, and service so as to engage with the non-Christian society around it. It had not developed a missiology of Western culture the way it had done so for other non-believing cultures. Just like we would have done with Gordy as he went over, we need to be doing the same thing here. It feels the same, it looks the same, but it's not the same. We could spend a lot of time, in fact, I was telling Scott about this, and, and Scott goes, oh my goodness, all of these could be series in and of themselves. We could, we could share example after example as example, but let me just say this, things are changing so fast. The gaps between the generations are so vast. They're growing bigger and bigger. And we need to recognize that as we're stepping into it individually and as a church. We need to look at what is going on in the world around us and seek to understand it and then have the knowledge and wisdom to speak into it. You could just imagine the danger. And guys, we're seeing the effects of this now within the church, right? We can sit there and we can go, yes, God's doing a work. God's always doing a work. And we can talk about why there's decline in attendance and why there's falling away and all of that stuff. That is true. But part of it is true because the church is not doing its job. We're still going with model number one and wondering why it's not working. And we're blaming the outside. When God's going, you're supposed to shift to model number two. Like, it it doesn't change my word. Like, when we talk about being missional, some people will say relevant. That isn't one of those things to where we're making God and his word relevant. God and his word is relevant for all people, for all times, and all places. Okay? All. All. But what we need to figure out as people, as missional disciples, what we need to figure out as a church is how do we take this unchanging truth and this unchanging God and this unchanging gospel to communicate it to a world that is so much different than us in a way that they understand. That's what we have to figure out. That's what being missional is. And guys, sometimes this shift is slow. Sometimes this shift is slow. And it seems slow here. Because depending on how Christianized the area is, but when you look at the rest of the United States, you admit that it's different. But even if we don't feel like it's shifting here, it's shifting here as well. In uh, in fact, in an article, let let me do this one. In an article from October 2019, entitled The Coming End of Christian America, it said, America is still a Christian nation. If the term simply means a majority of the population will claim the label when a pollster calls. But in a new Pew Research report, it unsparingly explains the decline of Christianity in the United States continues at a rapid pace. A bare 65%, now this is just people that claim, a bare 65% of Americans now say they're Christian, down from 78% as recently as 2007. The deconverted are mostly moving away from religion altogether, and the ranks of the religiously unaffiliated or the nuns have swelled from 16 to 26% over the same period. 
if this rate of change continues, the United States will be majority non-Christian by 2035, with the nuns representing well over one-third of the population. If that's the culture that we're going to need to speak into, we're going to have to figure that out. 2035. It's 15 years. The last one, I'm going to have to do this quickly. The last one is we engage. Not only do we see, not only do we understand, but we engage. We see what Paul ended up doing with this as well because he saw and because he understood. Um, So in 23, again, where he says, um, uh, I found the altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He says, what therefore you worshiped as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God, and then he goes on to talk about God. So engagement, let me back up real quick and try to do this fast. Um, But when we talk about engagement, there's two things of engagement I want to talk about. The first engagement is actually just moving into the culture, right? Paul ended up doing that right at the beginning. It's interesting. Paul had, this was Paul's MO was to go into new cities and go right to the synagogue. But he didn't stay in the synagogue. Like he did church, right? In, in, in chapter 7, or yeah, chapter 17, look at the end of verse 1, if you still have your Bibles open. It says, Thessalonica, when they showed up at Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, which was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Paul would go in, and he would do church. He would do synagogue, but Paul didn't stay in the synagogue. He didn't just stay in church. His faith just didn't stay on Sabbath days. He lived that faith when he went out. And it says, it says here that uh, in 17 again, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Like Paul was just living his life and, and he didn't have appointments with people. He just showed up in the marketplace, whoever was there. That's who he hung out with. So Paul took his faith. He engaged the culture, not necessarily just with truth. That's the second part, but just engaged the culture to go out in the culture. The only way that you're going to see and going to understand is if you're in it. And that's what Paul ended up doing. So that's the first part of engagement. The other part of engagement, too, is is truth. Guys, if we're honest with ourselves, this is where a lot of us tap out. We're good with relationships. We're good with connecting with people, but with truth. And society's set up in a way. It's amazing to me. I had this thought this morning. It's amazing to me that we live in a culture that would say that the, the number one offense is to offend somebody. But we also live in a culture where you can say whatever you want and there's no consequences, right? Everybody's just angry. We can say whatever. But man, if you bring Jesus up, like Satan has set this thing up where you look at culture and go, I should be able to talk about Jesus pretty freely. But it's not the case. Like, don't offend anybody. But let me tell you what I think. Jesus, no, 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 off limits, right? So there's this engagement where we have to engage with truth. The first engagement has to be married with the second engagement. If the first engagement is just to understand and be in relationship, but it's not included with the engagement of actually bringing truth in love to that relationship, then the engagement is not complete, Paul saw and was heartbroken and had a level of understanding. So he was able to communicate or engage with the truth in a way that would connect with those he was trying to reach. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus constantly used objects, metaphors, all of these things to connect with the people that he was talking to, things that they would understand to bring spiritual truth in a way to make that connection, to bridge that gap. But Jesus also serves as our ultimate example of going out. John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us. 
Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That, that, that God, God engaged, God understand, or understood God saw our situation, right? He sees all of this stuff. And in the cross, we see that response. Jesus came to us. God was not up there going, hey, hey, come to me. Get your ladders out. Try to do whatever you can. Get up to me. You're created for a relationship with me now. Now figure it out. Figure it out. He said, you can't figure it out. So he sent Jesus Jesus came and he engaged. He emptied himself. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sin and mine. He absorbed God's wrath and he was raised from the dead. That's the message Paul was taking to people. And Jesus becomes our example. And guys, if we have a relationship with him and he is the only way to fix that relationship that we were created for, then we need to share the good news to the world around us in a way they can connect with. So guys, as disciples, we need to be missional. We need to see, we need to understand, and we need to engage. And even if we do all of those things, it doesn't mean it works out great. Paul was run out of two cities, more than that in his life. And we look and what ended up happening at the end. But when we see and when we understand and when we engage, just like what happened to Paul, some will mock. We find this right at the end. Some will mock. Some will say, let's continue the conversation. But the last part, some will believe. Some will believe. So guys, individually, let's be missional. Corporately, let's be missional. This is our last Sunday on this idea of discipleship to follow Christ, to have this multiplication disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples equipped, missional. We've we spent four weeks on this, and I just want to take these final few moments and ask something of you. Will you, where you are right now and how God is speaking to you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, will you commit. However he has spoken to you over these last three or four weeks, will you commit to being this disciple he's calling you to be, that he's showing you to be? And if there's areas where you've been out of focus, he's corrected the way you look at things, uh, put new lenses on. I don't know how you would say it, but would you commit to what he's asking you to do? And maybe it was the follower and, and fishing for people, and, or, or maybe it was the fact that you, you weren't making disciples who make disciples, and, and I don't know. Maybe it was this whole idea of you weren't moving forward because you felt you weren't equipped or believed that lie, I don't know. Or maybe it's today and... You're just realizing, I, I'm not missional. I don't care about the culture. 
<laughs> I don't care about that. I don't know what it is. I don't know what this looks like for you to commit. Because I don't want this to be group think. Like, if I have you stand, like just stand where you are, then there's pressure to stand. Well, I'm sitting down. <laughs> I, I don't want this to be group think. I really want this to be a Holy Spirit-led moment. But we, we've been praying through this series as a, as a staff, you know, what, what does God want us to do? And this is something we feel like was for our church for these four weeks to consider. So let me pray, and I want you and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to speak to each other. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Real simple. Not some crazy outlandish promise. Maybe a simple yes, Lord, or I will, Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do what only you can do. There's no man or woman that can call someone else to the kind of sacrifice that's needed. The obedience. 